This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI Senior Writer Al Castle. I'm going to be joined in a moment by my co-host, Brian Solomon. We're at the beginning of the summer. Uh, lots going on, and we're going to be talking about just some of it. Uh, going to have a conversation about some of the changes going on in WWE. Uh, a lot of talk about the need for more high-stakes matches, and we've seen it with uh, two Hell in a Cell matches on free TV over a couple of days. Uh, retirement matches thrown out uh, from out of nowhere, and I guess the edict is that uh, Vince McMahon wants high-stake matches all the time, and uh, we get a bit uh, into the philosophy behind that and what some of the problems with it are. Um, Also talk a bit, uh, actually quite a bit, about the uh, new documentary on Vice on China. Uh, this was separate from their Dark Side of the Ring series. Uh, it is called uh, Vice Versa China. Uh, Brian actually was a little bit involved in the documentary, which actually originated years ago and then went through uh, many twists and turns. When, when the documentary started, um, China, uh, uh, Joni Laura, the former China, was still alive and she actually died in the product during the production of um, the film. And um, all these years later, Vice kind of resuscitated it and really kind of transformed it into uh, something very different than I think was originally intended and something um, I think uh, a, a lot more compelling and more honest. And um, we talk a bit about it and just kind of about the legacy uh, of China and uh, what she could have been um you know, if some different decisions uh, had been made. So stay tuned for that. Uh, and then finally, uh, we've got a, a fun interview that uh, Kevin McElvaney, our editor, uh, conducted a while back. It's actually in uh, now, I guess it's the previous issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the August issue uh, in our 12 questions feature. It is 12 questions with the, the Metal Maniac Sledge from Ring of Honor, an up-and-comer over uh, at ROH. Um, we put together in this 12 questions format, but really more of a conversation um, with, again, somebody who is on the rise in uh, pro wrestling. So uh, stay tuned uh, for that. Uh, let me tell you about the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. As I'm speaking, the October 2021 issue uh, is available for digital download. Uh, a real fun cover, kind of a throwback to the the PWIs and uh, wrestler magazines uh, of old um, in in the format. The layout uh, very much has kind of that old school look. Uh, Britt Baker is on the cover. She is the subject of my hot seat interview. Uh, I talked to her just, I think, three days after winning the AW uh, Women's uh, World Title, and she had a lot to say. Really one of the more fun interviews I've had uh, here uh, in a while. We hope to bring you the audio here. Uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, you can read the whole interview inside the magazine, and uh, there's a lot more in the magazine. Uh, we've got features on uh, Paul Heyman, on uh, a fun thing that um, we put together, kind of a, a preview of SummerSlam, not knowing what SummerSlam is, uh, but it's a book of lists of SummerSlam, uh, features on uh, Jade Cargill over on AW. Uh, you know, timely, we, we asked the question, is she the next China 
Uh, what else? We've got uh, a fun feature looking at kind of an overlooked uh, series of matches or feud um, between Ricochet and Ali in WWE. Uh, features on Josh Alexander on the annual Super 8 uh, tournament over at ECWA on Alley Cat and uh, so much more. Again, a uh, lot, lot changing over Pro Wrestling Illustrated over the last year or so, uh, and it's great to see a lot of names that typically wouldn't get that much of a spotlight uh, get them inside the pages of our magazine, so uh, you don't want to miss it. Um, not just uh, the featuring uh, new uh, or different talents performers uh, but also we've got a lot of new writers uh, on our team giving different perspectives so a fun time to jump in and subscribe to Pro Wrestling Illustrated you can do that at pwi-online.com whether you subscribe to the print edition or the digital edition uh, the longer you subscribe you get some deep deep savings half off the cover price you can also just uh, order the one issue if you like and download it right away to your uh, mobile device or have it shipped to your house. Uh, either way, again, the way to go is pwi-online.com. We got some big things cooking, uh, just wrapping up the work on the annual PWI poll uh, that I'm working on. And just this past week, we had our, our first meeting uh, and our second meeting for that matter uh, on the 2021 PWI 500. Uh, still a few uh, days left here in the evaluation period, uh, but the list is starting to take shape. You don't want to miss that issue when it comes out uh, later this year. Uh, so again, go to pwi-online.com and subscribe. Make sure you don't miss any issues. Uh, you could also check out the PWI podcast there or download it, uh, subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts and kindly leave us a positive review. You can um, subscribe to the completely free PWI weekly newsletter, have it sent to your email inbox. Uh, that's a lot of fun. Uh, what else can you do here? You can um, pick up the Pro Wrestling Illustrated line of t-shirts um, at whatamaneuver.net or Pro Wrestling Tees. we got different shirts uh, out there, so uh, take your pick. A very uh, wide selection, a lot of fun uh, designs. And uh, what else? As always, follow us on social media at OfficialPWI on Instagram and uh, Twitter. And uh, send us an email here with uh, your thoughts, questions, what have you. PWI podcast at outlook.com or PWI at kappa publishing.com. All right. Uh, joined by my co host right now, Brian Solomon. How's it going, Brian? Pretty well. I'm enjoying the beautiful weather here in Connecticut because, you know, I always have to talk about weather at the beginning. So uh, <laughs> yes. I, I'm sitting outside in my yard. That's how nice the weather is. Uh, let's talk some wrestling um, and a couple of topics that you wanted uh, to talk about. Uh, there's not a, a ton going on in terms of, of current events. Uh, we just had a pay-per-view uh, this past weekend, Hell in a Cell. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say it was kind of flew under the radar, one of the more unremarkable pay-per-views uh, uh, in a while. Um, you know, some good action, two and Hell in a Cell matches. Both were uh, fine. I, I enjoyed the main event of Lashley uh, and McIntyre, uh, but wanted to look at kind of the bigger picture of, uh, you know, putting those two Hell in a Cell matches uh, aside. We had two others on free TV uh, over the course of, uh, of four days. We've talked a little bit about how, you know, it, it, it seems that WWE has stepped away over the years uh, from organically building to these matches, and it's more just about, you know, it's on the calendar, so let's do them. And this is sort of taken to the nth degree that we had, again, two Hell in a Cell matches on free TV. Neither 
coming out of a feud that I think you'd say was even close to sort of like reaching the, the level that, that would uh, explain why this would need to be in the Hell in a Cell. Rey Mysterio and Roman Reigns that had a program, you know, a week or two, it wasn't even the main focus of of Roman Reigns, his main storyline being with the Usos. And then over on Raw this past Monday, Xavier Woods and Bobby Lashley in a Hell in a Cell. Uh, and I guess that the sort of big picture and, and you know, uh, reports coming out of WWE is that the the new directive from Vince McMahon is that every match needs to be a high stakes match, and we're not putting matches out cold anymore. You know, wrestler A versus wrestler B with nothing on the line. That explains why we've had these hell in the cells. It explains why, out of the blue, we had a Jeff Hardy retirement match, um, you know, retirement stakes uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, what do you make of this being kind of the the, the latest directive uh, from McMahon to fix what's ailing the product? And uh, is this sustainable? I could see how people, some people might look at this, and I've seen some reactions where people go, oh, you know, that that doesn't sound so bad. You know, like, so all the, I'll be more invested in all the matches and, and everything will mean more. And, and maybe on paper it kind of sounds that way, but... But this is really this is the definition of, you know, this is overbooking 101. This is like if you're looking for how to overbook wrestling, it's let's make every match have some huge stipulation or stake and 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 involved storyline. I mean, um, you know, there is so much there is such a thing as too much of a good thing. Right. And I mean, the problem is just what you said. It, it's impossible to sustain. You know, you think about how many shows they do and then not even to mention house shows. If those start up, we don't even know if it's going to apply to that. Um, you know, sometimes it's OK if a match is just a match. If you let two guys go out there and put on a good, entertaining show. I mean, look. That is the, you know, mini wrestling history. That's the whole reason that faces and heels were invented, right? So you had <laughs> a ready-made mini angle for every single match. Even if a match doesn't have an elaborate stake or storyline, you know, oh, here's the good guy. Oh, here's the bad guy. Okay, that's the story. Or this is why we have titles, right? So you can have a title on the line and you've automatically got stakes. This kind of overthinking is class it's the classic kind of stuff where you have a writer's room that is afraid you know of Vince uh, um, he the buck stops there which can be a blessing and a curse and uh, also it also smells like the kind of thing that they might try to do for a few weeks and then say you know what um, this is not really working out and maybe they abandon it because it just it just feels like it's too much sometimes it's okay for a match to just be a match. I understand even the main event, I get it, but for a match to just be a match, just to help to fill out the show, that's a lot of time to fill. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what what you get, and it's not the first time we've, we've seen uh, something like this, it's never worked, which makes it that much more puzzling that Vince McMahon would go in this direction. But I'm reminded of, like, uh, the days of WCW Uncensored. Remember when when every match had that? This was a boxing match, and this was, uh, you know, something on a pole match, and this is, right. it, they, everything had to have uh, a stipulation. The, the black and, uh, match, the match with, the, uh, right, the with, with Dustin Rhodes and, and uh, and Barry Darcel on, like, a flatbed truck. You know? Yes, right. And I'll go one further. That was a better idea than this. Not that match, but it's one thing to have one pay-per-view a year 
Uh, and WWE does it too, I, I guess. I mean, they've, they've not as much, but, but like that was the idea behind extreme rules is we're going to have a bunch of stipulations on, on one pay-per-view. Uh, and even that gets to be a bit much, but you can maybe justify one show a year where you do that, but you can't do that in every match um that you put out uh and, and it almost goes without saying I, I i can't believe that anybody would have to be explaining this to to Vince McMahon but yeah as you touched on it's sort of the 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 latest um sort of quick fix uh in in WWE that is never sustainable and and i brought this up when we were talking the other day um a year or two ago it was uh, matches cannot go into commercial breaks right so you have to have every match end at the commercial break and and again as soon as you heard this i think any logical person thought no that's not sustainable and what you had was uh, a bunch of three minute matches matches that would uh, uh end on some kind of fluke and then would be restarted after the break and uh they did this for i don't know six weeks two months and and obviously they had to get away from it just it wasn't going to work raw underground uh was another one uh that again as soon as you saw it anybody in the right man mind knew no you can't sustain this and it's it's crazy to me that vince mcmahon wouldn't uh wouldn't know this i mean he should know um better than anybody and uh, beyond that, I, I, I think it's bad booking when you need to you, you feel the need to have this directive of matches need to have stakes because uh, to some extent that goes without saying and good booking, the stakes are always uh, uh, built in. And not that I'm the biggest AEW fan uh, in the world, but one thing that that they do is. Uh, and, and this is the, the simplest way that's, that there are stakes in matches is that it makes a difference who wins and lose because the guy uh, who wins climbs up the ranks. You know, um, they have their, their ranking similar to WCW had back in the early 90s, you know, their top 10. But basically, they're keeping tracks of, of wins and losses. And if you move up uh, the ranks, you know, you're closer to uh, a title shot. And those are sort of the natural stakes of of wrestling and and cold matches. Uh, you know, they shouldn't be cold matches. Uh, every match, including in the days of squash match, WWF superstars and challenge, the the purpose of those was to get over these characters. You know, those were the stakes. Was you were building up um, uh, this wrestler uh, and just arbitrarily throwing in stipulations. Uh, you know, again, that might work for a week or two, but it's not something that's sustainable in the long run. Yeah, because the the whole structure everybody knows. I mean, I'm not I'm not like breaking any ground here, but the way a show is constructed it is the same way a match is constructed. You know, it's peaks and valleys. You kind of want to bring the crowd down sometimes, and then bring them back up again. And certain matches fulfill those functions. If it's just up, 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 and everything is high stakes and everything is crazy, that is how you burn out a yeah. crowd, a crowd, and that's how you burn out an audience in the long term. And like you said, I mean. This is something you would think that he above all people would know. And I think I think that he does. But I think what we see here with all this crazy kind of weird um, injunctions and stuff is that now we have a situation at this stage in the company's history where there is really nobody there to really challenge the one voice of, of Vince McMahon. You know, I mean, it's great to have a single unified voice. I think that's what helped them beat WCW, honestly. But now it's to the point where there's nobody there even with the clout 
to actually be able to say, Vince, that is an awful idea and have him listen. You know, I mean, in the past, you had people like that. I feel like, you know, for all his faults, Vince Russo, you know, they kind of balanced each other out. And you had, you know, the days of like Jim Ross and Jim Cornette and even, you know, Bruce Pritchard in the old Bruce Pritchard, you know, people that had the ability to kind of stand up and he would respect what they had to say and he would listen. Um, I feel like that. I mean, I, you know, I'm not in the writer's room, but I feel like that's gone now. I feel like it's a bunch of young people who are kind of quaking in their boots, just trying to make this guy happy. And nobody realizing, I think, that there are times where you can step up and say that, you know, you take a chance. I mean, easy for me to say, right? It's not my job. But I mean, take a chance and 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 step up and you don't have to just constantly be trying to make this guy happy. I mean, I can tell you from experience, he likes to be challenged. He likes sometimes to be proven wrong, you know, by the right person. So this is a case of just a lot of fear, I think, in the writer's room. I'll take it a, a kind of a different direction. Is it that nobody is there to tell him this is a bad idea, or is it that these people are coming up with the bad ideas? Um, and and we we've talked about how one of um, not necessarily a problem, but certainly one of of the changes uh, evolutions that WWE has gone through over the last several years is that there you just touched on there are sort of fewer and fewer wrestling people at the table uh, and. Without those people, I feel like that's how you come up with something like, what if every match was a high stakes match? You know, it, it's right. the kind of 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 problem that, uh, uh, you know, new wrestling promoters just starting out uh, uh, kind of fall into. I, I've been uh, listening to Jeff Jarrett's uh, new podcast, and it's it's fascinating in so many ways. And it deals with some of this and not so much a TNA. But do you remember um Kind of the precursor to TNA was uh, World Wrestling All Stars. Sure do. Uh, yeah, that, that Jarrett was kind of involved, but he he was not. He was sort of the wrestling guy. He he was sort of the guy that we're saying needs to be at that table, but surrounded by, um, you know, just people who are in the entertainment business. And uh, I remember him in, in one of the early episodes talking about how uh, they booked this show in Australia, and bananas and pajamas was uh, this big thing in Australia at the time, like a popular children's show. And so they had to have a, uh, a a battle royal where there was a banana in pajamas and he needed to get like a lot of ring time and the camera needed to be on him at all times. And, you know, it, it, it's funny, but you hear Jeff Jarrett saying like, look, they were paying the bills. And so that's what they wanted. And, and that's what we did. And again, that that's kind of the thing, but, but not a, a wrestling promoter who's been, uh, not just in the business, but been the guy at the top uh, of the business for 50 years. Crazy that he wouldn't know this. So maybe he does. And maybe maybe he does know better. And, and this is uh, maybe influence um, from folks that that don't know better, you know? Yeah, that was an interesting thing, by the way. We watched that in the office when I worked at WWE because we were following that w World Wrestling All-Stars thing. And we got like a copy of their pay-per-view or whatever their shows were. And I remember that they had Nathan Jones on there and he had just left us and things like that. And yeah, I, we, we, we saw the bananas and pajamas and I knew what it was cause I had toddlers at the time, but a lot of people in the office were scratching their heads. But yeah, I, I think that 
you know, what it is right on the writer's side is you have people who, you know, there's different types of wrestling people, right? So you could have a room full of people even who are like big wrestling fans. And I don't really necessarily think that's your fix. And that's coming from a very big wrestling fan, because then what you wind up getting is a room full of people Mm -hmm. who they were never in the business. They don't get the business. They don't get the psychology of it. What they get is, you know, what they remember liking when they were kids. And it's one particular thing or it's like, you know, whatever their favorites were, you know, like I had that experience happen when they started changing the magazine over there, there a bunch of guys came in right. and they're like, Oh, my yeah. favorite wrestler was Coco beware. When I was a kid, he was great. And you know, they think that's going to get them cred as a wrestling person. So, and I'm not saying, you know, I, all right, they had people like dusty Rhodes and Pat Patterson and, and, you know, Michael Hayes is still kind of hanging on there. And I'm not saying we need a room full of like ancient, you know, wrestling people. There are young people. There are newer people who are very smart, who, who get the business, who are the modern day versions of those guys that they could easily, you know, bring in to help keep things on course. Um, so it's not just a room full of either clueless TV writers or TV writers who were fans like 15, 20 years ago and think that it's easy to book wrestling, you know? Yeah. Those people exist. I mean, some of them, I know they, they've worked with even in the last few years. I know, um, Gabe Sapolsky was, uh, on board as some kind of consultant, uh, probably more on the NXT side, working with Triple H. Um, but but right, I mean, th- th- there is a balance, uh, you know, but there is no substitute for experience, right? You know, uh, just having been in a business over uh, many years and even decades and seen so much of, of what's worked and, and hasn't worked and maybe come up with your own ideas that you thought would work and uh, just were disasters, failed miserably. Uh, and so so all that goes into kind of that, that soup of experience. But um, it, it's something that, that, you know, we talk about all the time and it's just pro wrestling is really different than any other kind of business. Uh, and, and that's why it, it it's hard to bring... Um, these things that work in other uh, types of entertainment uh, over WWE and just assume that's going to work here. Uh, so wh- what do you make of, you know, I don't know if this is it, if there's something else, but but there's been, you know, these uh, uh, rumors, reports circulating from WWF insiders, WWE insiders uh, about something big being on the horizon, some big changes coming that will really kind of turn around WWE's fortunes uh, by the end of 2021. I, I can't imagine it's just this. Um, I, I, you know, in terms of returns, I, it's not clear what there's, there's rumors of John Cena and I'm sure he'll be something of a, a, a difference maker, but him uh, on his own, I don't think, um, would, would fix everything. So, uh, do, do you give it much credence? Is this the latest sort of talk of some kind of, uh, reboot reset that really goes nowhere? You know, I lost my patience with the reboot thing because it's like, We've, we all know they've done it a bunch of times, but the one that stands out for me is the time. I think it was like two years ago or something when all the McMahons got in the ring. You remember this? And they very yeah. earnestly kind of said, yeah. you know, we screwed up and we're not giving you what you want. And that's going to change. And for like two weeks, it seemed like, wow, all these different things are happening. And then it was just the same crap. It just went right back. It, it's very easy to lazily fall into the same old patterns and and it it's just you know look they have some of the best production 
on the planet uh, of any entertainment company, not even just wrestling. So, I mean, they know what they're doing. I'm not saying they're lazy and they don't know how to produce a TV show or anything far from it. But um, the way that they do things, you know, that's what I mean. It's like they're just set in that way and that's it. And so I, I definitely am highly skeptical when they say things like that. Now, I have two thoughts. I mean, it could be related. I mean, there's been all this sale talk. I mean, it could be related to that. Yeah. I mean, that, that would certainly change things up if all that, of a that sudden. That in and of itself wouldn't, though, right? I mean, just that they were sold doesn't improve the project, well, the, the product. It would have to be, I guess, something that would give you some some optimism about right. them being sold. Right. I mean, like, but well, what, what I mean is and, and this is why I'm, I'm not inclined to think that's what it is, because the thing that would really change things up if they were sold would be is if all of the management changed. And there's no way they're going to be bragging about that happening. You know, if yeah. that happened, it would be certainly uh, something that they would not be thrilled about, you know, if it were to ever happen. Um, I mean, it could be, you know, there's been all this talk online with Reigns, not just calling out Cena, but also talking about rock. And I feel like if they could pull off something where both of those guys came in at the same time, then you're talking about something that could move the needle. I mean, that's a big, big thing. If that happens, both of them. Well, what that does is it gives you a a really strong program and some really strong matches. It, it doesn't fix uh, the whole product, right? Um, and it does look like both are on the horizon. I know there's some reports of um, uh, maybe Survivor Series being in New York uh, later this year and them trying to get The Rock to be there, presumably to build to the match uh, with R- Roman Reigns. Uh, that's huge. Obviously, Cena Reigns, which is, I guess, being discussed, uh, would be huge, maybe for SummerSlam in front of 70,000 fans. Um, that's all great. I'll, I'll say something else. I think it was uh, a- around uh, a year ago coming off of uh, the the Seth Rollins Ray Mysterio program where they were feuding over removing each other's eyes and uh, the the garbage with uh, the fiend and the swamp match and him winning a match by drowning Braun Strowman you know I remember us talking about the the product about a year ago being about as bad as we could remember I'll say it's improved since then uh, a, a good amount it's not uh, sort of like must see TV exciting every week, but they've eliminated a lot of um, the, the worst of the stuff, Alexa Bliss notwithstanding. Uh, but SmackDown on any given week is a lot of fun to watch. I mean, anything with all the stuff with, with Roman Reigns and the Usos is just fantastic. Uh, uh, absolutely uh, sort of pitch perfect. And Bobby Lashley over on Raw, MVP, Drew McIntyre, there's a lot to like, you know, so um, it rather and and I think that's the way to go. Right. So so rather than the next big reset, reboot, let's turn everything on its its ear. It really is about accentuating the positive positives and eliminating the negatives. Um, Look, there are people who are really into the Alexa Bliss stuff, you know, uh, that's fine. And if it's doing big numbers, then far be it for me to tell them that's not working. I think uh, if if you held the poll, uh, uh, more people would say they dislike it than than like it. I remember being at, uh, at, at to WrestleMania in Tampa a couple of months ago, where the the fans, the first live crowd they had in a long time, you know, soundly booed uh, Bray Wyatt and and the Fiend out of the building. Uh, and even if some people like it, enough people hate it that maybe it's just not worth doing. And and again, wh- why not just focus? You, you'd be hard 
pressed to find anybody uh, who, I, I mean, you're going to find a lot of people that do dislike Roman Reigns, but in the right way, in the in the way you want him to be uh, disliked. But, but the point is that I, I don't think you'd find a lot of people who don't think that that program and Roman Reigns and what he's doing isn't hugely over. And uh, again, the same could be said for Bobby Lashley and a lot of stuff that really is clicking right now. So uh, again, focus on the good stuff. Get rid of the 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 really really bad stuff. That doesn't mean don't try different things because you you know you'll try some stuff. They got this thing going on with uh, Eva Marie and Dewdrop and kind of on the fence right now about what I think about it. But it's good experiment, right? And and if it doesn't work out, then then you cut your losses and you move on. Yeah, and I'm a firm believer, you know, and this is partly why SmackDown is working better. That again, you don't need to overbook. You don't need to, and I think that also happened a lot in the Attitude Era, where there was this sense that every single wrestler needed some like high stakes storyline at all times. That was Vince Russo's uh, special, yeah. Right, and and I don't think I, I mean he really would think that way. Like like it was very soap opera. It was every single member of the roster needed something, and that sounds great on paper, but it just gets to be too much. And so I think like. If you have a few top angles, a few top programs, that can carry your show. That It really can. It can make it a memorable show. I mean, even if you think back to whatever eras of wrestling that you love, you know, you're thinking of like one, two, maybe three storylines that really grabbed you. You're not thinking of like the entire roster. You're, you're really not. And it's because the rest of that was carried in a good way. It's like the rising tide carries all ships. And SmackDown is doing that right now because the Roman stuff is so compelling, it carries the whole show. Yeah, I, I think with an assist uh, from Bianca Belair, so yeah. I think you've got oh, Roman at the top. What 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 he's doing right is is the focal point, and the other benefit is that it's two hours, right? So you don't have three hours to fit. It's it's two hours to fit. Give a solid. 30, 40 minutes uh, of, of that show every week to whatever's going on with Roman. Uh, another big chunk of it to whatever's going on with with Bianca. And uh, she's good. And her her stuff with Bailey's been good. And then, yeah, the rest is kind of, you know, a potpourri, a little Otis here, a little, you know, Mysterio there. And um, it, all, it makes for an entirely watchable uh, two hours, which sounds like faint praise, but but it's, you know, com- compared to what WWE was doing just a year ago, uh, it is a significant improvement. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I hope they stay on the course. Um, speaking of uh, the the Attitude uh, era, uh, we want to talk a bit about uh, this. We've talked a lot about documentaries here in the last few weeks. This really feels like one of the stories of the year is all these documentaries coming out uh, with a, a range of, of quality. I just came off seeing um, just quickly the, the, the Bret Hart one, the Shawn Michaels one. Um, what else? And a couple of, uh, of new, of, uh, the vice, uh, so what is it? The, uh, dark side of the ring. And I gotta say, I've been underwhelmed with a lot of them. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of just kind of like, I guess the reality is that, that a lot of these are designed for, for people who are not big fans. So it's kind of new to them, the, these stories, but, uh, a lot of them just kind of deal chronologically with stuff that we've, that, that fans, people follow this already know. Um, but, but one that, that doesn't fall into either category is kind of its own thing, uh, that, that was on vice, but it was kind of a, a standalone documentary, uh, called vice versa, a China, which is a two hour documentary about, uh, about China again, really stood out as something uh, different. 
you mentioned to me. I tried to get as much uh, in before the show uh, today. I'm, I'm most of the way through it and really enjoying it. Uh, in the first few minutes uh, watching it, I, I heard a, a familiar voice. Uh, like, I know that guy. <laughs> uh, what, what, how uh, do you get involved in it? Well, this, this partly has to do with why that was not simply uh, another episode of Dark Side of the Ring. Because you could see how it could be, that you know, that kind of subject matter. Like, Because people were asking, why did China get this special treatment on Vice? And part of the reason is because that project started as something completely different. So if you watch the, the China documentary, um, what I was a part of, and I should mention that now because, you know, I don't know, conflict of interest or whatever, but I'm in it briefly. Um, the reason is that it started as a documentary project called The Reconstruction of China, which was going on while she was alive. And it was meant to be something that was going to redeem her, that was going to put her back in the spotlight and all this. And unfortunately, she died during the production of it. And some might even say, um, some might say, as a result of the production of it, at least in part, unfortunately, uh, it was just very overwhelming to her. And I was interviewed originally for that project. I'm thinking this is like 2015, maybe early 2016. I know she died in April 2016. So it was before that. And they talked to me at length. Um, and, they, you know, they used about 20 seconds. But, you know, that's par for the course. But the main reason they wanted to talk to me is because I had worked there. And so I was there when a lot of the stuff went down with, you know, uh, Hunter and Stephanie and China kind of getting pushed out and the corporate reasons that were given for why she was let go. And, you know, which is what we were all also told when I worked there, you know, that she was becoming difficult. She was asking for too much money and all this. And we saw through all that even at the time. So they wanted to hear about all that. They used a tiny bit. But but. Um, when they made this new one, I, I guess what happened was the documentary project fell apart in 2016, partly because of China's passing and partly because the producers and the directors, you know, they were kind of a mess themselves. Some of them were on drugs as well. That's mentioned in the in the documentary. And the whole project just fell apart. And I think Vice kind of put the pieces back together. I'm not sure exactly how that happened. But um, there was uh, a documentary filmmaker named Mara Strock. I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. Mara Strock, who did that for Vice. And I think she got the footage from the unfinished China doc from years ago and worked together with the original filmmakers to put this thing out. So they must have dug up my footage and found my release form or something. And they put it in there. Um, I'm not identified by name on screen which I have been looking into seeing uh, if that can be addressed in any way, because yeah, I'm the only, I'm the only person so, yeah. in the whole thing that doesn't have their name on screen. Yeah, you're but, just like a dude that pops right. up. <laughs> Who is this guy that talks for 10 seconds and then he's nowhere else on the whole thing? I don't know. But you had the quote that they kind of hung the whole uh, uh, intro part uh, on, so it, it really kind of helped drive home the whole story. Yeah, and I think that's probably the only reason I popped up in there is that they loved that quote so much that they had to have it in there. You know, they just really liked it. But the flip side was they were probably like, who the heck is this guy? You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but we love this quote. So let's just put it in there and see if, you know, no one's going to wonder who this guy is. But, you know, but but, uh, you know, I thought I thought they did a great job overall with it. I mean, it was it was pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. And, and again, I got uh, uh, probably about 20 minutes left to go. So I I. Um... I guess not really in a position to review the whole thing, but it is worth having a discussion um, about China. What a fascinating figure in wrestling. Maybe 
and this kind of goes to the quote you you've given, uh, not just sort of forgotten by by time, but kind of in some ways intentionally erased, uh, uh, at least by the people who who own so much of her legacy, uh, WWE. And it really is, uh, I thought, a story of um, a lot of missed opportunity, squandered opportunity. You know, the cliche about her being ahead of her time. You, you think about what a WWE or or any company would be able to do with someone like her uh, today, now in in the era of um, not just women's wrestling, meaning more, but now some of the taboos being lifted of intergender uh, wrestling. Uh, it, it was still kind of the freak show uh, back then. And and again, going back to Jeff Jarrett's podcast, I think it was the first episode where they talked about, you know, the night that he dropped the title to China. And at the time, it was kind of unthinkable. Uh, now I could see her just being a player, you know, uh, a, a contender, a world title contender in whatever company uh, she would be in and, and being accepted uh, as such. But um, again, some missed opportunity and kind of uh, mismanagement and uh, a lot more just sort of, um, you know, really being wronged. And you got to be careful with some of this because there's so much at play, including just sort of, you know, uh, uh, affairs of the heart. Right. And, and, and the reality of everything that happened between her and Triple H and Stephanie McMahon and the fact that Triple H and Stephanie today have a, a what looks like a, a successful marriage and a beautiful family and all that so so fantastic but you know the fact is that that some of the roots came in um came out of of, of her really being hurt and and kind of wronged um in in a way and even after that happening you know there was one bit where where she talked about um and maybe Vince Russo talked about it too like why couldn't they just give her the name Right. You know, if, if she had and again, being realistic of like, given everything that's gone down here, it's tough to keep you here. Right. I mean, now Triple H is growing an influence in the company. And this is just sort of awkward and weird and maybe isn't going to work out. But but that said, uh, and I'm sure they talk about, you know, setting a precedent and all that. But uh, how, how much. Could things have been, and maybe they wouldn't have been much different, but man, couldn't you just give her the name, <laughs> you know, let her go be China uh, somewhere else? It seems like a situation where uh, even if it's clear that that she had to leave, this should have been a circumstance where they really should have done their best to, to put her on uh, the best footing, uh, understanding that that she couldn't be here, you know? Yeah. And the name thing, you know, I, I said the same thing when I watched it, because this is clearly a case where they were never going to use that name because they were going to pretend she never existed. So, yeah. you know, she was never going back there, clearly. So why not just let her have it? You know, it's sort of like what they did with Cody. And, and I know they fought Cody Rhodes on that like crazy. And then they finally gave up. But I think part of the thinking was, OK, listen, it's not like this guy's ever coming back here. Like he's run, he's running his own like billion dollar wrestling company. He is doing his thing and we're not going to be using his name. So screw it. We're just going to let him have it. And 
and and that's kind of what they could have done with her. And it's a shame they didn't. And I think I, I and I have to say too, for it, it has to be well, a couple of things. First of all, what was never mentioned in the documentary at all, and I think is worth mentioning because it it compounds what happened to her, is that they were engaged. And I'm surprised that that never gets mentioned. Um, uh, she talked about them own uh, uh, having a house together. Right, they lived together, but they were engaged. She had a ring on her finger, a very large one. And they were engaged to be married. Um, and I think, frankly, that that makes it even worse. I mean, yes, affairs of the heart. I get it and on that level and, and that much of a power play. That is just it's one of the worst raw deals um, in yeah. wrestling history. And and for people that weren't around then, I, I, this is the thing. And fans or, you know, that weren't around or weren't watching. It's hard to it's important for them to understand because. From the context of today, you would not know this, but at the time, and I'm not saying, you know, it was maybe for a year or two, but in that window, she was as big as anyone in that company. You would not get that um, impression now, you know, with the WWE version of history. She was at the level of The Rock, at the level of Stone Cold Steve Austin. She was there completely. I don't know if she was was there. She might have been a rung below but still, you're not just talking about her being um, a, a very big deal in the company. You're talking about her being a very big deal in the most successful period for a company ever, right? And, so and this was the peak of, of WWE and the wrestling boom. And right, I mean, I guess we could uh, debate whether she was as over as The, the Rock uh, or Steve Austin. Clearly, they... Um, that she was even over that much is a testament to her because she didn't get nearly the, the attention, the screen time, the uh, uh, the storylines that the other two did. Uh, but but she was right there. And it wasn't even it, it had nothing to do with the women's division. You know, that's the thing that needs to be made clear. I don't think anyone since has really done what she did. The closest I would say is Becky Lynch. But I don't even think that she got to where China was. What what she did where it, it didn't she was just one of the wrestlers. She was in the mix um, and it was it, and no one batted an eye. You know, she was in there wrestling men, wrestling women, whatever. It didn't matter. You know, I and I know it's it's my controversial hill to die on that. I'm not the biggest fan in general of intergender wrestling because very often it, it takes me out of it when I when I'm watching, you know, men fighting women it just it takes me out of it in the same way as watching you know the undertaker wrestle Rey mysterio it just takes me out of it uh but with china it did not matter Uh, that was one of the cases where it 100 percent works you bought it and and vince russo you know to his credit in that in her story and in this documentary he does deserve credit and his voice should be heard because he was a big reason of why that all happened he championed her he championed her i mean yes he also championed sable but he but he championed china and he was prepared uh, from everything that i've heard and i believe it to make her the world champion um that was that was the plan and it was before they wound up giving her the women's title they were going to do it they were going to pull the trigger with her i'm not sure how it would have fit into the storylines but i mean he really believed in her and, and he's a big reason for why that happened and, and helping to really get her over to that um, degree. I mean, it, 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 she was a phenomenon. Absolutely. The, the level of crowd reactions that she would get. I mean, I was at WrestleMania 17 when she won the women's title in the Astrodome. 
against Ivory. And, I, and, and that was one of the biggest pops of the night. I mean, it was enormous. Like the audience wanted so badly for that to happen. It was like a coronation, even though she deserved even more than the women's title. Yeah, by that point, you know, they were already off track in how to use China uh, because, you know, it wouldn't even be like her being in the women's division today where there is a there wasn't a women's division uh, back then. There there were, uh, you know, bikini models fighting in mud. Uh, and, and so, you know, frankly, she was above that and, and she was better than that. Uh, but the thought was, let's just make her another diva, you know, put her in Playboy. Uh, and, and that's where a lot, you know, got the implants and, and the jar restructuring and, and all that to make her look softer, more feminine. Um, and, uh, it, it really was off track and, you know, wrestling is, is littered with stories of, of missed opportunities and blown pushes. Uh, but, but she really is very near the top of, of somebody uh, who was uh, uh, really squandered for for a number of reasons, including again just being stuck in this love triangle with the the daughter of the most influential uh, person uh, in in all of uh, wrestling. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, even, she got cheap. Talk about a raw deal. I mean, you know, it, it it occurred to me that even if she did get the China name right, the WCW was was gone by then. Um, so there's really when when she got shocked, when she got shown the door. There really was nothing to to fall back on. I mean, they showed that she she went to Japan, and I had never I had known of the the match with Chono, and yeah. uh, I had never seen that much of it. And man, they were just stiffing the crap out of each other. That's, yeah, yeah. But but even, even that wasn't the the opportunity that that it is today. So when she left WWE, I mean, there really wasn't any safety net. No, and you, you know, she got cheated in a way that um, look, I know you know stuff like this happens. In the world all the time, in entertainment all the time, in wrestling all the time. But the thing is, when you're in a position of power like that, talking about the, you know, the people that really screwed her over, the, the right thing to do at the time would have been to acknowledge, you know, warts and all, that what you did uh, affected somebody in this negative way. You have power over that person. So the least you could do is take care of them. The yeah. least you could do is say, look, we're really sorry. This happened. We're in love. You know, it is what it is. We're getting married. We're very sorry. And we're going to make sure that you're OK. You know, we're going to give you this, that or the other thing, whatever it may be, whatever it may be. You can't just say, well, you know what? We want to make our lives easier. We want to feel more comfortable, not have to look at this person at work every day. You know, so we're just going to, like, banish her to the ends of the earth and act like she never existed. Like that is where the moral bankruptcy comes in. It it's was not, malicious. Yes. Yeah, it more was than anything. Yeah. Because yeah. I understand that, you know, things happen, uh, you know, the, the not to wax poetical, but the heart wants what the heart wants. Yep. I get it. I understand it. I've lived it. But but you have to acknowledge the people that it affects and you have to make amends. Otherwise, that's really what makes you a rotten person more than anything. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, on one hand, it's another story of um, a, a successful pro wrestler. And we've seen this a lot in, in all these documentaries over the last few months who gets mixed up in drugs and essentially, and, and, and ultimately that's their, their downfall. And so you get into issues of personal choice and bad decisions. And, and, and that's all absolutely part of the discussion, but I felt this one in particular, uh, and it's not to remove any of the, the um, personal responsibility from uh, Joni Lauer, but in her case, it felt like 
she really was the victim of a, a lot of bad people uh, around her, you know, because by all accounts, you know, a, a really good, sweet woman with a lot of baggage, a lot of trauma, um, and again, ultimately responsible for her own decisions, but uh, kind of let down again and again and again, and, and every person she turned to, even some people who were well-intended, only ended up kind of pulling her um, further and further down. I think of, right. you know, Sean Waltman, who on, on one hand, you know, again, was was there for her uh, at coming off of the breakup with, with Triple H, but because of his own issues, again, just kind of dragged her down even further. Well, and the saddest thing of all to me in the end of it was even this documentary, this original thing yeah. that was supposed to redeem her, bring her back, champion her, even then, she continued to be used, manipulated mm-hmm. by these awful people, you know, uh, enabling her drug use, um, emotionally abusing her. And and to be honest, if I had known that that was going on at the time, I would not have even taken part in the thing. I'll be very honest with you, because I wanted to really get the word out. That's part of the reason why I was passionate about being interviewed for it was I wanted people to hear the story. I thought it was great to, to, to get the, to help her get some kind of vindication and to see that that's what was going on. I really didn't know. Cause I remember thinking what the heck happened with this documentary? Like I know that she, that she passed away, but my understanding was they were still going to complete it and release it. And I'm thinking what's going on. I didn't know there was all this drama and all this dysfunction going on uh, behind the scenes. I really didn't. And I wish that I had known at the time. Yeah, it was so clear that that so much of it was about getting a real compelling scene um, uh, for this documentary and not about her. You know, there, there's the that one part where um, her, her manager is, is really pushing her to go to her father's grave. Right. And um, her, her father had passed and he was. Um, for better or for worse, and a, a, an important figure in her life. But but however she was handling it. You know, and and you could debate whether it was um, uh, the right way or not. I mean, I think there was some just kind of pushing emotions um, down, but that was what she was doing. And um, under the guise of no, this will be good for you. You 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 need to have this closure. Uh, they pretty much drag her to the cemetery, you know, to shoot her at her father's grave. And it's clear that she didn't want to do it, you know. And um, then they talked about how. This kind of set her off on on not that just in and of itself, but it was part of um, the, the whole process of the documentary and kind of uh, her her delving into some parts of her life that uh, really traumatized her. And, um, you know, some people uh, might argue she would be better just to move on from and, and leave behind her. They kind of revisited all that. I, I you know, and you, you could. I'm sure they would um, dispute, you know, what what the intentions were. But, uh, you know, you could you could debate whether the the intentions were right or, or wrong, whether it was about trying to heal her or it was more just about, oh, man, this would be such a great scene. You know, yeah. And, and you've got, you know, the worst one to me, I think, was when you've got her and her manager and he's you know, they're on the, they're getting ready to be on the phone with with Dr. Drew, who is already. Oh, yeah who is already a vulture in his own right. I mean, let's be frank, but, but to get her some kind of help and he's bargaining with her over what 
they are and aren't going to tell him about what drugs that she's on, you know, as if he is trying to say, well, you know, some drugs we're going to let you take because they, they make sure you get up in the morning and go to sleep at night. You know, I mean, that's classic enabling stuff. That's what they did to the Beatles in the 60s. I mean, mm -hmm. it's like that's what they did to Judy Garland when she was a kid. It, it's classic, classic, awful stuff to do. And I mean, I will say, you know, in the end, I guess the, the good thing is that they were able to even shed a light on that because the 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 current documentary, the Vice one, really does seem to get the story right, not just about her life, but also even revealing what was going on with the original documentary, you know, and, and, yeah. and for yeah. that, I applaud them that not the original filmmakers, but I applaud the ones who put together the new one because they really finally did everything justice. Including exposing the filmmakers. Right. The original film was, yeah. yeah, I mean, that if, if there's something of a happy ending, it's that Vice got their hands on this and uh, told a, a more honest and accurate story than I think would have been told uh, otherwise. And it sounds like it was never going to see the light of day anyway. But uh, uh, fascinating, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, a name that isn't brought up too much. I guess technically now a WWE Hall of Famer. There was a little bit. Uh, on that too, they they showed that clip from Triple H on uh, the Steve Austin podcast where this comes up, and this is another moment that, and it's not the dump on Triple H. It it, it really isn't. I, I get that he's got a responsibility um, to the corporation, to to his marriage and his family, uh, but but it wasn't a good look, you know, for for him out to be out there saying like, well, and I'm paraphrasing, but we can't have little girls be searching up, you know, Hall of Famer China and finding that she's in porno videos. And it, it sort of um, doesn't address, you know, what was the, the path that that set her down on on doing porn, you know, and, and what were the origins of that and, and what responsibility, what role did he play in that? You know, right. and it's just a it's it was a flimsy manufactured excuse that it, because if you're going to use that standard, well, I mean, there's a there's a few people. <laughs> That shouldn't be in there now, not to mention, yes. I mean, a lot of wrestling history itself, uh, you know, should be like wiped from existence. If you're going to use that, uh, those kind of measuring sticks, you know, it's like the glass houses, you know, I mean, Titan Tower itself is made of glass, you know, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? and, and also, and uh, yeah, and also a very kind of chauvinistic. Yes. Uh, you know, for, for, for a company that that sort of considers itself so woke, especially when it comes to like women's empowerment and stuff, the idea that, you know, would this have been an issue if, if one of their male wrestlers did a porno movie? You know, um, uh, I, I can't imagine. But uh, I don't know. Not not ladylike for for her to, to be out there doing that. And honestly, in, in, in the big picture of all the the, the mistakes um, and, and bad decisions that Joni Lauer made in her life and in her career. I don't know that those go in the top 25%. You know, she made a few adult, you know, movies. Uh, so what, you know, uh, uh, you, you could debate whether it was a good career move or, or not a career, good career move, but it, but I don't think it needs to be that big a part of, of her legacy. You know, there was a market for that and she did it. You know, I don't think it keeps her out of is what I'm saying. Like, like, yeah. You know, I don't I mean, if you press me on it, I don't think it was a good career decision for her to make. I really don't. But I yeah. don't think it should keep her out of the Hall of Fame, keep her off TV and all this stuff. I And I and, and, and honestly, I don't think that was ever the reason anyway. It, it's just a manufactured yeah. kind of cover 
And it's very obvious as to why we can't acknowledge um, this person, you know, because here here's another. Well, I, I mean, I can go on and on about it, but I mean, that was not the legitimate reason. We all know it. Um, and 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 given all the awkwardness with Triple H, uh, it's odd that when they finally put her in the Hall of Fame, they did it as as part of, of DX with Triple H on stage accepting. Um, I mean, she should have been part of that but uh do, do you think there's still an opportunity there to uh, uh put her in the hall of fame on her own has that ship sailed and it's just best to kind of you know forget about it? I, I mean honestly at the end of the day what does it make a difference unless there's some uh i, I don't know if her, her family would get something from that uh or not uh maybe her her fans would get some comfort from from feeling like you know they got justice or something like that uh is, is it worth doing I think that we could definitely see that happen. I mean, we've seen it happen before. It seems like when, you know, it's like what happened with Randy Savage. When when someone passes away, they actually seem more inclined to do it than when they were alive. And I don't know, it, it's partly spite, you know, that then the person can't actually benefit from it now and they can benefit, the company can still benefit. And I think it's also partly because they don't have to deal with any kind of drama and also because it looks really good, right? It's a great... Mm-hmm. Uh, look for the company like we're letting bygones be bygones we're doing this and so I think if there's enough pressure which the pressure is mounting and and this documentary is part of it I don't think it's I I think it's very possible that they could decide to do it I think it would be looked upon very favorably by fans it would be looked on very favorably by talent you know I I think the the, the entire locker room would applaud it except maybe for you know one or two people yeah. but everybody would and uh, you know they are good business people and the hall of fame is you know partly a marketing tool and partly you know a branded entertainment franchise within WWE and and I can't see why they would they would allow any kind of just like personal gripe especially this far along to get in the way of that I I can totally see that happening at some point absolutely yeah. yeah the whole thing really is uh very sad and and kind of depressing you know d- just watching um the documentary and seeing that in in moments of of her being kind of lucid and, and clear-headed um she looked really good you know it had been 20 years almost since um you know she she really came on the scene and she still basically looked like china and in some ways uh, looked healthier than than she had in in the long time, uh, and I guess the hope was to kind of I mean I don't know they are anticipating any kind of like real return to wrestling, but just kind of return to the pop culture scene. Um, you know it it's it's really a shame. Yeah, it, it's too bad. And you know she did seem like somebody who, for whom legacy meant something. And if um, this is a step in kind of reclaiming that legacy and uh, maybe cleaning it up then, uh, yeah, hopefully it was worthwhile. Uh, all right, Brian, thanks so much. As always, I appreciate it. Uh, we will be back soon. All right, Al, thanks again. All right, have a good one. You too. want to thank Brian, as always, for the fun conversation. I uh, neglected to bring up uh, some big news with his book about the original Sheik. I know uh, he said recently that I uh, got the edited manuscript uh, back from the publisher, uh, and they had nothing but good things to say about it, and uh, all looks well. Uh, So I'm looking forward to reading that. Uh, Right now, let me 
send you over to a conversation that our editor, Kevin McElvaney, had with one of the up-and-coming stars of Ring of Honor. It uh, is in our 12 questions feature in the August 2021 uh, issue of Pro Wrestling uh, Illustrated. Here is the Metal Maniac, Sledge. You signed with Ring of Honor right before the company shut down for the pandemic, um, which is a, a really, it's a, it's a weird time to do that. Um, what was going through your mind last spring as all of this was happening, as it was shutting down, as, uh, you know, basically you were just getting started uh, and the future is so uncertain. What, what's going through your head? That somebody finally signed Sledge, so then the world decided to crash. <laughs> <laughs> No, um, that, you know, I'm just, I'm just honestly, man, I'm just blessed to at least have a job during this whole time. And what was going on is like, Hey man, like I took a real chance on going to the ring of honor dojo, uh, going and working, you know, being there for six months and then them signing me afterwards. And I'm like, yes, I finally get to go. And then the world shuts down because of COVID-19 and, uh, it was kind of like one of those things, but I, at the same time, it wasn't bad for me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it was a time for me to reset mentally, physically, emotionally, and really kind of focus on like my body and focus on what I really want to do in ring of honor. Um, because now I'm swimming with sharks. Now I'm swimming, you know, with some of the top talent in the world. So yeah, it definitely gave me some time to really think. So it wasn't really a bad thing, you know, to, to reset for a second. How did the how did the dojo compare to any expectations you might have had going in? What what's your experience been like there? The Ring of Honor Dojo is great. Um, after my tryout in 2019, I want to say it was my tryout um, <clears throat> when they offered me the tryout. Right after the Mad- I, they offered me the tryout at the Madison Square Garden show uh-huh. when I was there, and they offered me the tryout in I think we did it in May, and then they offered me the dojo spot like pretty much when I was in the hotel uh, in the airport. Um, it was one of those things, man, where, uh, I needed some fine tuning, some polishing, some ready for, for television. It was, Hey, we you're there. We just don't think you're quite ready for television yet. So we want to clean up some things here and there and having Will Ferrara, you know, guy who's done, done it all. And on top of that, having Jonathan Gresham, who is, you know, on top of his game right now being the pure champion and just doing, you know, everything he's doing with the foundation. Um, it was a great learning experience and being in there with guys like Dak Draper, you know, um, SOS, you know, Joe Keys, you know, Dante Caballero, you know, all those guys made me really up my game. So it was a great experience to be at the Ring of Honor Dojo. Awesome. All right. Um, so next question. So you've been really open about your battles with addiction. So if someone is reading this and they're having similar issues right now, what would you say to them? Don't give up. I I came from nothing. I really did. Um, I was on the verge of suicide. I really was. And um, there's a reason why you're put on this planet. And you have to find that reason why you're put on this planet. And once you find that reason why you're put on this planet, then go head first for it. Mine is to be, you know, a professional wrestler and to try to motivate people for them to understand that the world isn't a bad place. The world is what you make it, you know, and I'm a true living comeback story. I really am. 
and you can do anything you want once you put your mind to it. So you're a self-professed metalhead, uh, part of your yeah. So what music do you listen to uh, to get pumped up for a match, like songs or bands? Or- that is such a. I get that question all the time. You would think I'd have a better answer than what I have, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Because everybody's like, "Dude, you're a metalhead," yeah. and like a better question than what I have, but um, a uh, better answer. I listen to everything, man. It could be anywhere from like I Prevail to um, Pantera to Metallica to um, Poison to Molly Crew to Slayer to, you know, uh, Brody King's band is really good. God hates. I love that band. It is amazing. You know, Hatebreed, you know, you name it. I'll put it on. And if it's, if I'm ready to slam some weights, then it gets me to slam some weights or slam some people. Then I'm, I'm playing it and ready to go. Awesome. Yeah. So before you signed with ROH, uh, you were mostly on the West Coast. I mean, almost entirely from what I saw. Yeah. Um, East Coast crowds are a little bit different. They're, they're passionate, but they can be kind of tough. So are you nervous at all about eventually competing in front of those fans? No, because while I was over here, uh, while I was uh, relocated on the East Coast for a short time, as I was, I wrestled here on, I wrestled on the East Coast. I did Northeast wrestling. Um, I did some stuff with cheeseburgers. Um, and no, I, I think I'm going to fit very, very well in that hard hitting East Coast style. I, because that's my style, man. Awesome. All right. So you recently made your official debut for Ring of Honor uh, against O'Shea Edwards, the time limit draw. So talk a little bit about being in the ring with a big, tough dude like O'Shea Edwards. Somebody that I'm very familiar with at the Ring of Honor Dojo because he was at the Ring of Honor Dojo. He was actually at my tryout. Um, he was he got to the dojo a couple months before I did. And I think he refed like my my tryout match, if I remember correctly. Um, a hard-hitting, moving son of a... I don't know if I can cuss on this thing, but like a son of a... And then you can put like the little, little <laughs> asterisk, you know? <laughs> Son of a bitch. He he hits hard. Um, we did two time limit draws, man. And we're on the verge of going to a, going, you know, to a third round. And if it does, I guarantee you I'm gonna leave his ass laying. So you you were voted favorite future of honor star even before you were, you know, on television or anything else. So yeah, how did that feel? <laughs> Go uh, great. But I didn't expect to win because there were so many other people from Future of Honor that you know have been on the shows multiple times and um yeah i was very shocked that i won it i, re- I really was i woke <laughs> up and i was like oh hey look i won <laughs> right on <laughs> just uh, like a little sub question over that so i mean i think some yeah. of that is people your story resonates with people that you put yourself out there and you're uh it's motivating and inspirational and i mean you said that's your goal so that's i think that's part of it but then the other thing maybe this uh social media stuff that you're doing and the the Twitch and all that. Do you think that played a role? Uh, I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Because um, you could have done one or two things during this pandemic as you could have stood still or you could try to take advantage of it. And I t- took advantage of it. I was like, yeah, you know, now there's people at home. They need something to watch. They need something to do. So if I could give them something to watch Monday, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays, and then give them something to do while I'm doing YouTube content or whatever else I'm doing to help, you know, promote number one, myself and ring of honor, then yeah, you know, maybe that, that definitely did it, you know? All right. So this is a little more lighthearted. Uh, what's your favorite snack for after a match or workout? Oh man. Um, honestly, after a workout, uh, chili mango, oh. I love chili mango. 
Like I eat so much. Like it's bad. I I shouldn't eat that much chili mango, but I do. Um, I love hot food, man. I love spicy food, stuff that's gonna make me sweat. I'm always in my meals, dude. I always have jalapenos in my meal. Yeah, you know they don't make they they just taste good. Like yeah. anything that's gonna make me sweat or um make me have a little bit of a burn in the back of my throat, dude. I'm all about. I really am. Um, but yeah, that and like my favorite cheat meal, probably pizza and nachos. Yeah, the hell of a combination. Good answer. Um, so did playing in a band when you were younger help you prepare at all for performing in the ring? I would say yes, absolutely. Because the music business is just like the wrestling business. You'll get out of it how as much as you hustle. Absolutely. If you hustle your ass off in the music business, you'll make yourself something. If you hustle your ass off in the wrestling business, you'll make yourself something. So, I mean, you're, you're a strong guy. You could probably be a, uh, taller than a good amount of the roster. You could probably be called a, a power wrestler with some of the moves that you do. But, I mean, yeah. you're no stranger to the mat and uh, technical wrestling. So, right. my question is, do you see yourself making an impact in the pure division? I would love to. I literally, I actually, I was, I was just like thinking about that because on a, I, I do a lot of technical stuff and actually coming from the dojo of technical wrestlers like Gresham and Will Ferrara, um, mm -hmm. definitely. Um, and then, you know, you guys got like another big guy in the peer division, like Dak Draper, you mm -hmm. know, who just wrestled Jonathan Gresham on the 19th anniversary show and almost, almost beat him. That was almost beat him. Great match. I, uh, one of the best uh, breakout performance for Dak Draper. It really was. Yeah. Um, I would love to get in the Pierce division and definitely roll around with them because I think it would show a different style than what I can do. A lot of people know me as the powerhouse wrestler that hits hard, but people don't know that I'm very technical as well. <laughs> so yeah, I would definitely love to show that. <laughs> All right. So next two or three years, what are you hoping to do inside the ring and outside of the um, outside of the ring, I would like to travel around to schools to motivate kids to understand that, Hey, you know, if you have problems at home, you have stuff like this or people that battle depression. Cause I started battling depression around 12 years old, you know, after my father passed is to let them know that, you know, Hey, it's going to be okay. That like, you know, and just kind of tell them my story and hopefully they can, you know, get, you know, get something out of it, um, in the ring. Um, I see myself being the television champion. I see myself being the ring of honor world champion. I see myself being finding some people that actually like me and become the six man tag tag champs, you know, and maybe the tag champs, who knows, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm in it to win it, brother. I'm in collect it to win whole, it. Collect the whole, I'll, set, I'll take the peer title too. Hell I'll take them all. <laughs> I was going to say, I left that one off. Ah, uh, I was getting to it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, finally, a lot of us at the magazine and reading this at home or listening would consider it a big favor if you could get Brian Johnson to shut up. Is there any <laughs> chance you could do that? Oh, man, the Mecca. That's the Mecca you're talking about. <laughs> if he yells it loud enough, I swear, if he yells just a little bit harder, that head vein is going to burst. I swear that's going to happen. Um. <laughs> I would love to shut Brian Johnson up. I really would. I don't think you would ever step in the ring with me. I don't. We'll see. We'll see. I hope he does. Yeah, because I'll pop that vein on his head with one punch. <laughs> All right. I mean, this has been this has been great, and I I think probably we could very well release this on the podcast. Is there anything you want to plug or? 
Yeah. Um, if you guys allow me to plug, yeah, absolutely. Um, make sure you guys follow me on all my social medias at sledge805. I keep it super easy. Uh, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and uh, I'm on YouTube. I do unboxing videos on YouTube. I put matches on YouTube. Um, I'm big on Twitch. Uh, Twitch.tv slash sledge805. Just give me a follow. I, I love to chat and hang out with people. Uh,